So last week, uh, Sam preached on uh, the, basically the passage of the Samaritan woman, and we learned a few things from that passage. We learned the cultural um, items that were present, the fact that uh, Jesus being a Jew and she being a Samaritan, Samaritan woman, uh, to be more precise, was something that probably wouldn't normally happen. If it wasn't Jesus, that conversation probably wouldn't have taken place. Um, and the three points that Sam had in his sermon was one is that grace and salvation is offered to every person. Um, that, is, that is true. It doesn't matter what religion they may come from or what culture they come from, what country they come from. Because um, truth be told, we can find a difference in culture within blocks of our church here. Yet the, the grace and salvation is present for every single person. The second thing is that God's kingdom work is for everyone. Those who are Christians, those who are believers in Jesus, um, the work of the kingdom is for every single person. And the third one is that God can use anyone for his glory. So knowing that if you're a Christian, that you're a creation of God, you can be used uh, for his glory and for his kingdom work. So this morning um, on our first slide, I have the three main points that we're going to go over. Uh, I actually did not come up with these catchy um, alliteration. Um, I used this from a commentary that I thought it was so good I would just use it um, as a way to lay out the sermon this morning. But the first one, um, actually all of them you see that have to deal with unbelief. So that's the topic that we're talking about. Um, but first is contemplating unbelief. And we're going to see in the first few verses that um, Jesus is going to be telling us the type of people that have unbelief and also kind of the relationship that they have with him. The second one is Jesus does confront unbelief. And that is true today still. Um, I believe that God, through his Holy Spirit, who is still at work on earth, is working and convicting men, um, even outside of the presence of a church building or outside of the presence of um, Facebook sermon videos. Outside of all of that, I do believe that God is working through um, his Holy Spirit to draw men to himself. And he confronts unbelief in this passage, and I believe he's still doing that today. And then the third one is Jesus does conquer unbelief. He is gracious in the way he does that um, because he knows that us as humans um, with our sinful flesh sometimes struggle with coming to belief and faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, and the last time I preached, I preached from Mark 9. Um, in that passage, the father was pleading for Jesus' help. He needed his help because his son has been tormented by a demon from childhood. And uh, we read that in a passage. And he has, from the time this kid was a, basically a baby, this father has been trying to find some physician, some religious leader to heal this son of his um, and get the demon spirit out of him that had been tormenting his body. But his statement is one that I felt like we could all relate with because I think there's times where we've all questioned things and it's actually okay to do that. It's okay to question uh, what we believe. And the father says, help my unbelief. That's what he said in Mark 9. He wanted to believe. He truly wanted to believe that Jesus was the one who was going to heal his son. He wanted to believe. He just needed help with that unbelief and he told Jesus, help me with that. So we have a similar story today. Um, it's a father with a sick child, but more than healing, our topic is unbelief. Uh, so the first 
few verses is 43 to 45, and this is in John chapter 4. So you, uh, if you have your app or Bible, you can go ahead and go there. Uh, I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. Um, I've, I've come to really enjoy this version um, lately. So that's what I'm reading out of. So yours may be a little bit different. That's all right. I want you to notice in verse 43 the type of welcome that he gets from the Galileans. And my title in my Bible says, A Galilean Welcome. He says, after two days, he left there for Galilee. Where did he leave? He left Samaria. What I find interesting is not only in last week's sermon did we find that um, Jesus was talking to a Samaritan who he wasn't supposed to be talking to. Just his conversations with her led her to faith in Jesus. And then what she went and told the other people and then what they heard from Jesus, they came to faith in Jesus as their savior. He didn't really have a big miracle. And he stayed there for two days. I feel like that just put an exclamation point on everything that just happened. He was so welcome among these people that were of a different um, culture than him that he stayed there for two additional days. But he did leave. Um, we know that Jesus was um, in his ministry at this point. Um, and on his, when he left, after two days, he went to Galilee. And then notice in verse 44, he says, Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. And when they entered Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him because they had seen everything he did in Jerusalem during the festival. For they had also gone to the festival. If you remember that, uh, that was Jesus' first miracle. It's when he turned the water into wine. And there's a good chance that some of these people may have been present when he, he performed the miracle. There's a, also a really good chance that a lot of these people had just heard from other people about these miracles that Jesus performed. So we're contemplating unbelief. So there is a difference in the, in the way that the Samaritans received Jesus, welcomed Jesus. When we say that they welcomed him, that seems like a really good thing. Um, but there's actually a very big difference between the, the two welcomes that he got. Um, we already we talked about the difference um, of the Jews, the Samaritans, and it was the fact there's a Samaritan woman. But what faith required for each set of people was very different. Um, for the Samaritans, like I already said, it was more of just hearing what Jesus had to say that brought them to faith. And for some of you, it's as simple as that. You, you hear the, the word preached, you read the Bible for yourself. That's good enough for me. I have promise of eternal life. I'm going to believe in Jesus. Uh, for some, it's not as easy. For some, it, it, we want to see miracles. We want to see people miraculously healed. We want to see... Um, the things that Jesus can do happen before we can come to faith. And that's what the Galileans required before they would come to faith. And then he says, there's no honor in his own country. I had trouble trying to figure this out. Why would they not be happy for Jesus? This person who came from the same area that they came from. And yet he was going and traveling and performing miracles and doing great things. Why did they have almost like a, a contempt for him. So no honor. It's because of this um, subpoint. It's that familiar. I can't even talk. Familiarity breeds contempt. If I mess that up, I'm sorry. Um, this is an, a very old saying. Um, it kind of give you a little illustration of what that means. Um, it means a lot of things as far as how it can be illustrated. Uh, Max Licato, who you, most of you are 
know him as a speaker, um, the books he writes. And his illustration for this and how it applies um, to our faith, um, and this is actually uh, from his website here, so I'm reading from him. It says, Max Lucado tells of a time when he almost lost his two-year-old daughter when she accidentally fell into a swimming pool one day. Uh, I, have a, I have the same fear uh, with Reagan at this point. Uh, she loves to swim, um, but I fear getting a pool at our own house because I fear this could happen. Uh, although the tragedy was averted, Lakato admits that on his part, there had been carelessness and taking for granted attitude that led to almost losing her. Uh, so to illustrate it a little bit more, um, Pete's not here. Maybe he's watching online. Um, he could tell you stories about how he lost a few of his fingers. Uh, my dad's here. My dad's lost uh, half his finger. Uh, while that's, I don't, I'm not going to go into the details. I do have the picture if you want to see it. Um, but dad, I think you would agree that part of the reason of him losing his finger, my dad's a mechanic, um, and the way he lost his finger was just getting so comfortable about working on engines, one small slip and accidents happen. And it's because it's so familiar. You're so used to doing this that you, you let your guard down on something. Now that's a, that's a physical thing that could happen. It can happen with a swimming pool, like being so used to a swimming pool being there that you you forget to check on your kid if they're out there, or um, you forget to make sure they have a life vest on. Whatever it is, those things can happen. But it doesn't just apply to the physical, though. Uh, we can think of uh, things like marriages. The fact that after, after time, having a husband or wife becomes so familiar that you forget to take time to invest in them. You forget to take time to thank them um, for whatever they do and take time to love them. It becomes so familiar that that contempt that could grow in your heart is just from being and not and taking things for granted. Um, a spirit of gratitude. This one is one I struggle with. When you get so used to someone being kind, you just forget to tell them thank you. And that happens a lot. That happens. Um, so, for instance, uh, I'm not. I'm not bragging about this, but my barber cuts my hair for free. It's, it's not looking that great right now because, uh, you know, COVID's spiking back up again. But I'll be there eventually. Maybe I'll go back to cutting my own, which is not good either. So he cuts my hair for free. And uh, I'm very thankful for that. But there's times where I just shake his hand and say thanks. And I don't really appreciate it. Um, that same spirit of gratitude can apply in so many other ways. We get so used to God being kind to us. We get so used to um, someone who is nice being nice to us. We lose the spirit of gratitude when things become familiar. We become lazy in worship also. We get so used to coming to church, while that may not be true right now, we're very thankful to be back inside the building, even if we have to wear masks at this point. Um, and as a little side note on that, I, I do feel like at this time um, in our culture, meeting as believers is really important. Meeting as a body is very, very important. I'm concerned that as, as time goes on and if we neglect that, that some will leave the faith because of it. But when we don't have a spirit of gratitude or we're so familiar with church, and I, I was guilty of this, and probably a lot of you were guilty of this too, you know, January, February, we're so used to being in church that we were lazy in worship. 
That could be the same with your relationship with God. I say coming to church because obviously we come to church to worship God. But ask yourself, seriously, right now, when you leave this building, when you're with just your family or even by yourself, what is your relationship with God like? Has it become so familiar that you're no longer thankful? You're no longer worshipful? That's a, t- that's a tough thing to think about. And I'm as guilty as anybody on it. So as Max Licato warns, uh, taking things, people, and God for granted is a work of the enemy. And I think that is very true. And we see that at work um, in this story as the Galileans, they, they've witnessed a miracle before and it's all they want to see is another miracle come again. So we have to work harder at giving thanks. Um, we have to jealously guard love, prize people, um, seeing the big and the small, and worshiping God as our chief joy. I'm going to read uh, Max Lucado's small paragraph here. And this is all coming from Mark um, throughout the book. But it, I want to read it just to kind of hone in exactly on this idea of familiarity breeds contempt. It says, The danger of familiarity... Fam- <laughs> I'm going to get tongue twisted on this every time. Familiarity, breeding contempt, is sadly on display in Jesus' rejection by the people of Nazareth. These were the people he, he grew up around. These were the people that knew him the most. If anything, they probably saw how good he was. Um, I remember in high school, this is after I became a Christian and kind of after the point where I, I surrendered my life to Christ. I do remember being made fun of for being a goody two-shoes at that point. I was nothing special. I just wasn't participating in some of the wrong things that were going on at school. So maybe that's what the people of Nazareth had for them also, is that there was someone so perfect that came from the same spot that they, he, they both came from, um, that that bred contempt within them. So this was his hometown, yet the people that should have known Jesus best understood him the least. He was a prophet without own honor in his own town. There was skepticism, even cynicism about Jesus. They reasoned that Jesus was just a carpenter. He built tables. He doesn't do miracles. He is Mary's son. You'll see that in Mark chapter 4. They neglect to, to say that Jesus is the Son of God. They neglect to say that God is his Father. And they do that by saying that he is Mary's son. And it also points out um, something that probably was a scandalous in his hometown is the fact that Joseph wasn't the dad. So they, they were kind of saying it in a bad way also, the fact that it was Mary's son, because typically they would have said it was Joseph's son. So for them, the glory of Christ's person and work was hidden behind a veil of ordinariness. So paradoxically, they didn't marvel at him. Rather, he marveled at them because of their unbelief. Instead of being lost in wonder, love, and praise towards Christ, they were offended by him. Christ was a scandal in his hometown, and familiarity had bred contempt. Those who had lived in proximity to Christ were far from appreciating or understanding him. You need to know that that same thing can happen to us after our faith in Christ. We can be just like the people of Nazareth. We've, maybe some of you have been Christian since you were a child, um, or you've been Christian for a long time, and he's become familiar to you. Let's move on to um, verses 46 to 49. 
And uh, this is the second sign. And it's the healing of the official son. It says, He went again to Cana of Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. So this is where he performed his first miracle. And there was a certain royal official whose son was ill at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea into Galilee, he went to him and pleaded with him to come down and heal his son. He was about to die. And Jesus told him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. When he says you people, he's looking at this crowd that had gathered around. He's not talking to just this certain official. He's, the you is plural. If you can imagine Jesus being in this crowd of people, and he's saying, if, if you people don't see miracles, you're not going to believe anything that I say. He says, sir, the official said to him, come down before my boy dies. And Jesus said to him, go, your son will live the man believed that Jesus said to him and departed. So the royal official, to give you a little bit of idea who he was, he was likely well known because he was working directly um, under the government and the highest officials. So he was likely well known, and I believe Jesus was using him as an example. This father was desperate, um, similar to the father that I spoke about in Mark chapter 9. He walked approximately 15 to 20 miles. If you're going to walk that far, you better hope that whatever you're going to is, is the real deal. And I believe that this, this father really wanted that to happen. So I think the story is so similar to the Mark chapter 9 because we see a little bit of lack of faith on the, on the father's part because he thought Jesus had to be present in order to heal his son. And he also did not believe that the, um, Jesus could raise his son from the dead. Which, if my kid was sick, I'd probably have a little bit of lack of faith also if I was this certain royal official. But we see Jesus, he's, he's confronting this, he sees it. And I want you to know that, that Jesus is not focusing on the healing of his son. Jesus is focusing on the faith of this man and also the faith of those around him who just want to see miracles. Or are coming to Jesus basically to use him. So the father was desperate. And then um, the third point is Jesus conquering unbelief. And this is uh, verses 50 to 54. So while he was still going down, his servants met him. And, and this is the father had already left. Met him saying that his boy was alive. He asked them at what time he got better. And they said, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. And they answered, the father realized that this was the very hour at which Jesus had told him, your son will live. So he himself believed, along with his whole household. Now this was also the second sign Jesus performed after he came from Judea to Galilee. So when Jesus says, go, you realize there's not a whole lot of conversation between Jesus and his father the only thing he responded with was one as a response to the whole crowd that was around that you guys aren't going to believe unless I perform a miracle. And then when he actually addresses that official, he only says a, a few words. He says, go, your son will live. If you had just walked 15 to 20 miles to meet this miracle worker, this healer, and you wanted him to come back to your house because he, he's been well known to perform other miracles, 
would you be a little bit upset when he says, go, your son will live? That's the only response he got. I'd probably be a little bit upset. Like, no, you don't understand. I just walked 15 miles to get here. I need you to go back with me. My son is about to die. I can relate to that. I, I don't know if you can. I definitely can. He's pleading with them. And he actually does it um, twice. But we see two times where it says the man believed. The first one is that it says the man believed what Jesus said and departed. But then we also see here towards the end, it says he himself believed along with his whole household. The father had to decide when he was in the presence of Jesus, am I going to take him just at his word because I can't see the miracle happen? My son's 15 miles away. Am I going to take and trust this man at just what he said? That's it. Take him at his word. He had to decide that. And I feel like as soon as he turned around and made that first step back towards home, I would have been running. I can't run 15 miles, but I would have got the first half mile in very quick. But I would have gotten there as fast as I could because I wanted to see if what Jesus just said actually happened. But I found something interesting in studying this is that when we see the time he left and the time he arrived to see um, the people who met him on his way there, he probably didn't run because the time frame was so long in between. Some people say that he, he may have departed Jesus' presence, but maybe had stayed in town for just a little bit before he left. Um, or he just took a really slow walk back. And to me, I feel like that in itself is a sign of faith. The fact that he trusted what Jesus said so much that I'm just going to go ahead and stroll on back home. Whereas my response would have been kind of a lack of faith. I, I need to run as quick as I can to get to my son to see if he was healed. Because if he's not, I need to get back as fast as I can and make Jesus come back the next time. So just the fact that he left and at the speed he went home was in itself a sign of faith. And then when he saw the miracle, or when he heard of the miracle that his son was alive, it says he himself believed, but along with his whole household. The fact that the dad of the family trusted Jesus, not to drag him back to his house, but trusted him at his word, and then also told the people about what happened, the rest of his household came to faith also. The rest of his household who never met Jesus, never heard from Jesus, but because of what they saw as a miracle and the uh, witness of their, their dad. So we say Savior is sideshow. And it has to do with unbelief. Whether you like to believe this or not, there, there are plenty of um, churches, small, large, doesn't really matter the size. There's plenty of Christians who really only want a part of Jesus because of what he has to offer in this life. We look for the signs and wonders of what he can do. And really what we see is that Jesus gets, is frustrated with these Galileans that you don't really want a relationship with me. All you want is the benefits of the relationship with me. That's it. And I think you guys could relate that if you have a friend like that, you don't really want that friend. If all they want to do is use you, that's not, that's not a real relationship. 
So I have three questions for you as we, as we wrap up. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish by reading Psalm 33, which is not very long. Um, Sam read part of it this morning. Um, and then we're going to end with a song. But the three questions I have for you, and this, this can do with many um, points of faith with these. Has Jesus become so familiar to you that he no longer means much to you or even worse, that you're angry at him? And I've seen responses both ways. I've seen people who had been Christians or have had faith for 20, 30 years and then, and then walk away. So what is that to you? How, what is your response to Jesus right now? Are you someone who only seeks the good things Jesus can do for you? Are you only a person of faith because he promises um, a life of joy? Uh, are, you, are you believing that he is going to cause you to financially increase? Are you only believing in Jesus because you think he's going to protect you from illness? Are you only trusting him because of the good things he can do for you? So what type of faith do you have? Looking at the Samaritans and the Galileans, do you have a savior type faith that you believe that Jesus is the son of God? who gives us the promise of eternal life, or do you only believe in Jesus as a sideshow attraction? And then as uh, they, they prepare to sing our final song, um, I'm going to go ahead and read Psalm 33 to you. And I feel like this time more than ever, I, I'm not the type of person that says, I believe the end of the world is coming at such and such time because of this and that. I'm more of the belief that it can happen as soon as we take our next breath. So you better be ready. Psalm 33 says, Rejoice in the Lord, you righteous ones. Praise Him, or praise from the upright is beautiful. Praise the Lord with the lyre. Make music to Him with a ten-stringed harp. Sing a new song to Him. Play skillfully on the strings with a joyful shout. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his work is trustworthy. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the Lord's unfailing love. The heavens were made by the word of the Lord. Keep that in mind. The heavens were made by the word of the Lord, and all the stars by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into a heap. He puts the depths into the storehouses. And let the whole earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came into being. He commanded and it came into existence. The Lord frustrates the counsel of the nations. He thwarts the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation Happy is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people he has chosen to be his own possession. The Lord looks down from heaven. He observes everyone and he gazes on all the inhabitants of the earth from his dwelling place. He forms the hearts of them all. He considers all their works. A king is not saved by a large army. A warrior is not rescued by great strength. The horse is a false hope for safety, 
It provides no escape by its great power. But look, the Lord keeps his eye on those who fear him, those who depend on his faithful love to rescue them from death and to keep them alive in famine. We wait for the Lord. He is our help and shield. For our hearts rejoice in him because we trust in his holy name. May your faithful love rest on us, Lord, for we put our hope in you.